tonight, hearing what God has to say through them. Amen. Numbers chapter 13, verse 32, and here we have the spies, the 12 spies that were sent into the promised land coming back to give their report. Now, if I go to read this today, and I'm all over the place because I don't have my glasses with me. I left my glasses, and I don't think Brother Marks are going to work for me. So, sorry, Brother Heppenstall, I'm not going to be able to use your glasses. But they come back with the report, and they stand before the, the tribes, and they're getting ready to give their report, and we start in verse 32. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, now, first of all, I want to stop right there. How can you come back with an evil report of the promised land? That is contrary to the word of God to begin with. That is contrary to everything that God has been telling them over the last few years that they've been toiling in the wilderness. And at this point, it is the tenth time that the children of Israel have turned their back on God and have not held fast to the promise that he had for them. They weren't living in the promise. Instead, they were living in evil report. So the evil report comes back. Now, I don't know how you are or how you might be in your day and in your, in your life that you're living today, but when an evil report comes back to me, I don't accept that evil report. Right. I turn around and I give it to God and I give it to him. Why? Because there's nothing with that evil report that I can do in my own power to overcome it. It's going to take a supernatural, inspiring hand of the Holy Spirit touching that situation to take what the world says is evil and transform it and make it good. There is nothing I can do in my own power to turn evil into good, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and our God in heaven that reigns over this earth, through him and him alone, we turn evil into good. Can you say amen? Let's not forget that it is he that created evil. As he said, he said, I created good and I created evil. And why did he create evil? So that he wouldn't be a dictator. So that we would have to make a choice. He wants us to follow him because we love him, not because we're being forced to. Back in the late 1930s and the 1940s, Hitler was a dictator over Germany and they were forced to serve him and those that didn't serve him were executed. That's not how our God operates. He created evil so that you would come to him because you love him. You would sit at his feet and you would worship. Why? Because you want to do that, not because you don't want to. If you're here today and you don't want to worship God and you don't want to serve the Lord, guess what? You do not have to. But know this, know this for certain, that the day will come that every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess at his feet whether or not you want to accept it or not. So now we look at Numbers, the 14th chapter, and the first verse, and this is their response to the evil report that they received. Am I too loud? I didn't know if the mic, I was getting a little bit of feedback here. Maybe that was just you guys. (laughs) And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. So they received the evil report, and they received it as an evil report. They went to bed that night crying. They went to bed that night complaining. They went to bed that night in distress, and they wept. They cried. They grieved because they saw no hope in their future. They saw no hope in that which God had promised them. They saw no hope in the prophecy that was spoken over the nation of Israel. They had no hope in that prophecy or the promise that God had for them. They went to bed that night, and they cried because they didn't think they were ever going to get into the promised land. And in order for them to get into the promised land, there were giants and a great army that was going to try to overthrow them and Stop them. They lacked any faith at all in their life save two Joshua and Caleb. 
Joshua and Caleb were the only two that came back with a good report. The other ten didn't, and they began to spread and sow the seed of that doubt and of that evil report throughout the people and the nation of Israel. Oh, for those that sit in the church. Oh, for those that sit in the church and sit on their back pews or wherever they might be and slowly start to sow a seed of doubt about the body of Christ, about the church that they are attending or whatever they might be doing. They begin to sow just a tiny little seed. But as the word says, just a little bit of leaven can unleaven the whole batch, can it? And that's how it is in the church of America today. Too many people are sitting on their pews and they're sowing a little seed about this in the world and a little seed about that in the world. Pastors are being overthrown. Homosexuality and marriage is being allowed into the pulpits Abortion is accepted. Why? Because we've allowed a little seed of doubt, a small evil report to spread throughout the kingdom of God. And that's what happened to Israel on this day. They were so worried, so concerned about themselves that they went to bed that night murmuring and crying. Where are you, church, today when you come into your hour of need? Where are you when an evil report comes? Where are you when doubt creeps into your own life? Are you like the children of Israel? Do you stand back sowing the seed of doubt into your family, into your own home? Or do you rise up and say, for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord? Do we put it into God's hands or do we carry it around to and fro wondering about who's going to hear our sad story? Wondering about who's going to listen? Whose ears might it fall on so that they might feel sorry for me? So they might see my situation and give to me or whatever it might be. Church, let me tell you this right now. The seed of doubt has been sowed in the church and God's here today to drive it out. In Job, the 13th chapter, in the 15th verse, Job had not just received an evil report. He had watched his old life fall around him, yet he said, Though he slay me, I shall not turn from God. Why was Job able to say that? Because in Job chapter 5, 3, this is what he says, I have seen the foolish take root, but I cursed its habitation. I curse the habitation of the foolish that is trying to take root in my mind and in my family. And that's where the church is today. And that's where our homes and our families are. God's saying the habitation of evil and the foolish is trying to take root in our homes. But praise God for the one that will stand up and curse it and cast it out and not allow it to infect the lives of those around them. Caleb and Joshua cursed that root of habitation. A habitation is a place where something exists, where something resides, where something lives. Church, too many people today, the foolish has taken habitation in their lives and it's driven God out. And God's saying, allow the root of my Holy Spirit down into your soul, the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. Allow that to be your habitation and ye shall be an overcomer. Is it God or is it the world that is in you? In verse 5, the battle was big, church, but our God was bigger. In verse 5, it says, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. It doesn't say that the, sow, the seed of doubt began to be spread and Moses and Aaron went about telling people, come on, man, you can do this. Come on, come on over here to the church this afternoon and we'll pray about it. They didn't say Moses and Aaron went and tied two cups together and called down to the next tribe and began to complain about what was going on in the, tribe, in the nation of Israel. It said they fell on their face and they began to pray, church. Prayer changes things. It's time to put up our phones. It's time to put up email in our hour of need. And it's time to tap into AT&T in the throne and begin to call on God. They fell on their face and they began to pray, church. That's where they were at. That's where their heart's at. Church, when your hour of need, when that report comes to you, if you're not living your life for Christ where you should be, falling on your knees in prayer is going to be the last thing that's going to come to your mind. 
verses 6 through 9. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them, searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spoke unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search is it an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. They are bred for this means what? Translated, it means it's going to be an easy victory. It's going to be an easy, easy victory. It is bread for us. Why are you people weeping? Why are you mourning? Don't you realize that we are God's chosen? We are the people of God. We are the blood-bought, redeemed church. We are joint heirs unto the throne. God has promised us. He cannot go back on his promises. He delights in us. Yet you sit here weeping. Yet you sit here moaning. Don't you realize I have appointed you and called you to a place? I have given you that land over there. It shall be a sweet, easy victory it will be as bread for you just rise up and possess that which God has given to you God's got blessings and miracles for every person in this room he's got healings as well but he's saying you've got to rise up and possess it you're not going to get it sitting down and never tapping in to the throne root of grace I believe Paul was thinking of Caleb and he was thinking of it, Joshua when he stood up in Romans in 8.31. He said, if God be for us, who can be against us? And I believe that's what Caleb and Joshua were saying that day. What's the matter with you dummies, man? Look at you all crying and mourning throughout the nation of Israel. Ten times he delivered us and we're still there. If God be for us, who can be against us, church? And that still reigns true for today. If God be for us today, who can be against us? Shut your mouth and go possess the promises that God has for you. How did the people respond to the rally cry of Joshua and Caleb that day? How did they respond to the rally cry? How many have seen that movie Braveheart where Mel Gibson's got his face painted up and he comes riding in on the horse and they won't take your freedom and everything else and everybody hollers and screams and they charge onto the field of battle and I believe that Joshua and Caleb as they sat there that day, come on, God's giving it to us. It's an easy victory, but yet how did the church respond? How did the people respond? When you look at verse 10, but all the congregation bade stone them with stones. They didn't fall for him. You ain't taking us out, man. I heard what Ed said when he came back because he talked to Earl and he knows exactly how big the battle is over there and it ain't just going to happen, I'm telling you. They were picking up stones to throw at him. Jesus said in John the 8th chapter in the 7th verse, he who was without sin cast the first stone. I believe as Jesus stood there that day, and the prostitute was at his feet and he wrote in the ground, I believe he was seeking God for an answer because he laid aside a portion of his deity so that he might become man, so that he might become flesh, that you and I might be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And I believe as he knelt down and he wrote in the sand that day, he had drawn a line and I believe he reflected in his mind, God, how should I, how should I answer this question? Oh, I know, Father, you set the example for me. He who's without sin cast the first stone. They didn't stone Joshua and Caleb that day, did they? But no, they got punished though. Oh, they got punished for their disbelief, for their doubt. God, see, it gets quiet when you start talking about punishment. I know what you mean because like Jimmy and Elijah the other day, well, yesterday Elijah gets a spanking. He's all over the house. He's rowdy doing everything. As soon as I say, go get me my paddle because he'd done something wrong, 
he comes out. He's the most meekest, quietest kid you've ever met in your life. Why? Because punishment was coming. What happened? What stopped them from stoning them? What happened in that moment that stopped them from stoning them? Well, let's take a look. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel, church. The glory of the Lord appeared. Hang on is what God's saying there. Hang on. You might feel like you're about to be stoned with the evil report that you received. You might not see the victory anywhere. But when you're in that midnight hour, when you're facing the rocks that are about to be hurled your way, hang on because when you're at the end of your rope, church, is when the glory of the Lord shall appear and his salvation draweth nigh unto you. He says, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you in your hour of need in your last hope when you've got nowhere else to turn stand fast in the power of the almighty God because his glory is about to appear in your life now if you're sitting there today and you ain't serving God and you're running about to and fro doing whatever you're wanting to do don't expect the glory of God to appear because let me tell you something the glory of God did not appear at that moment for the nation of Israel it appeared for Caleb and Joshua it appeared for Caleb and Joshua because they were walking in the promise that God had laid out for the nation Joshua stood their ground and the glory of God appeared. Turn with me to Psalms, the 78th chapter. Man, I got to get me a drink. Psalms chapter 78, verse 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. They didn't remember any of it. Like I said before, this is the 10th time now that the nation of Israel did not remember how God redeemed them, how God spared them, how God saved them. Church, how many times do we, as a church universally speaking, or as a believer, as an individual, turn our back on God until it's that hour of need when we really want him and we go to turn back to him? And yes, he takes us into the fold, but oh, for the believer in that hour of need that never turned their back from God and knows that he's coming. And knows that he's going to redeem them. And knows that he's going to save them. What are you talking about, Brother Cal? What I'm talking about is you've got to live God more than Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You've got to be a Bible-walking, talking spirit, son of the living God, Monday through Sunday, so that all those that might see you can see the witness that is in you, and you might lead others to Christ. Because if you're not, if you're not leading someone to Christ, you're taking them away. What do we do on our jobs? What do we do in our schools? What do we do in the privacy of our own homes that is shameful and unattending unto God? Let me tell you something. God sees it all. You can't hide from the almighty God. And don't get this boy wrong here. Hey, man, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Why? Because we all have sin and come short of the glory of God. But he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins that we commit by his grace and by his mercy and woe unto the believer, woe unto the believer that would condemn him that has been forgiven by God, been forgiven by the cross, would sit there and contend the individual because they have come unto salvation and have come unto the cross. 
I see churches all the time, and of course I'm not talking about you guys, this is for the podcast, but I see churches all the time that condemn people that come into their church. Well, we don't want people like that in here. Look at him. Well, look how he's dressed. Well, I don't see how Brother Sturtz is going to get up there and preach tonight without a coat on. Well, look at his wife. She don't have a dress on. How can I? I'm just using you as examples because they don't know you. But the church condemns the person as they come in. Well, he always sits on the back row. He's never at any functions anymore. Well, you know what that tells us about his life? Well, did you see his shoes? He could use some polish. It's that individual that's the nicest dressed. Usually it's got the biggest problems. Mark, Brother Mark, you look really good tonight. <laughs> First time I've ever been out dressed on this kid. But when was the last time you turned your back in your hour and you turned your back on God? Are you the nation of Israel or are you Joshua and Caleb? Are you rising up? Are you standing fast, waiting for the glory of God to appear in your life? The glory of God wants to appear in everybody's life. But what does it say here in Psalm 78, 41? What does it say? They turned their back, tempted God, and limited. Everybody say limited. limited. Say it one more time, limited. See, there's people out there who would like you to believe that you can't limit and you can't tie God's hands. But let me tell you something. The Christian in the world today limits God yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. How do I limit God, Brother Cowan? Do you pay your tithes? Do you pray daily? Well, I put in the offering $20 every week. Yeah, but do you pay your tithe? Tithe translated in the, in the Hebrew is tenth. Do you pay the tenth? This ain't a message on tithe, but God just felt like I should say that out there. How else do you limit God? What else do you do in your life? I don't have to give any more examples. Everybody in here right now is thinking of something in their life that they do that limits God. I'm, you know how I know that? Because as soon as I said it, I started, hey, I limit God at times in my life. We all do. We're, we're, all, we're all human. We're all flesh. There's none perfect, as I said earlier. No, not one. Peter limited what could happen in his life. He could have walked all the way across the, the, the water. But he went down after a few steps. He limited what God could do. Oh, how much more could God use every person in here? D.L. Moody once said, Oh, what God could do with one man wholly committed unto him. What could God do? What could God do with one person if one person in this room today was to rise up and say, you know what, God, nothing about the flesh matters anymore. I'll quit my job if you tell me to. I'll go travel. I'll go across to the four corners of the earth. Whatever you tell me to do, God, I'm going to do it because it's your will for my life, and that's what I'm going to do. But we don't do that, church. We don't. What do we do? We put our faith in everything else around us. And we're like, well, God, you're going to have to show me three times and uh, give me two love offerings in my hand when nobody's paying attention, and then I'm going to do it because then I'm going to know it's for you. God, can you give me seven confirmations on that and have one of them be from the pastor and one from a deacon, and if you can meet that criteria, then I'm going to step into your perfect will for my life. But if not, God, you know, you're limiting me. If God says once to do it, you do it. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better. I was telling the, the brother here this morning about, about a story, uh, just a simple little thing about when, you know, when I was growing up, and I was probably 15 or 16 years old, and you know, my dad was an evangelist. He traveled, and all he received as far as income was a love offering, whatever church he went to. And there was 10 kids, and you know, 10 kids eat a lot, especially my brother Josh. That kid's a pig, man, I'm telling you. Don't ever tell him I said that if he comes here. But I'm sure Tim knows. He's seen him eat wings before. And mom and dad had, my mom had to go in, and the last child she had was a C-section. 
and then there was some other doctor bills that piled up, and we didn't have. I mean, usually not. To be honest with you, usually when you're in the ministry, you don't have insurance of any kind. And so the bill collectors were just coming down on top of Dad like crazy, and he had seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars in bills that had piled up. And he was praying to God one day because you know he, you know when when you got seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars in bills paying no money, you're sitting there trying to figure how you're going to pay Peter to pay Paul, but you ain't got money to pay either one of them. And God told my dad, stack all your bills up, anoint them with oil, and pray over them every day until the need has been met. So he begins doing that one night, hand to him, and him, him and my mom just praying over the bills, praying over the bills, praying over the bills. And finally, after about six weeks, my dad gets a call from a guy in Indiana. Indiana, look at that. God used Indiana. That means God can use you. And the guy goes, Brother County, he said, I got to tell you something. He said, God's been dealing with me on this for the last six weeks. Now, mind you, Dad's been praying over those bills for six weeks. And he said, gather up all the bills you got and bring them over here. God told me to write a check for them. Now, it was like $17,000, $18,000 around in there. That guy wrote my dad a check to pay for those bills. Now, my dad, in his hour of need, he didn't run out the door complaining. He didn't go out the door running with seed faith or anything else. But he gave it to God and he began to pray and he began to focus all the same way that Joshua and Caleb did on that need. Now, sometimes, church, and this is what I spoke this morning, sometimes you're going to have a need and it's going to be the responsibility of somebody else that God's speaking through to meet your need. God's going to be speaking to someone somewhere else to meet your need. And if they're being disobedient to the Spirit, you might have to press in a little longer. Remember, when Daniel fasted, he didn't fast 21 days because God told him to fast 21 days. But he fasted 21 days because there was spiritual warfare going on. And it was on the 21st day that the battle was finally won. So you might be sitting here tonight. You might say, Brother Callan, I don't have an evil report. Everything's great in my life. But it's God speaking you to help somebody else out in their evil report. Are you sitting there in your palace, in your castle, and God's saying, hey, man, that guy over there needs some help. Go help him out. You're like, well, all right. Well, I forgot to do it today, God. Well, all right, I got a luncheon tomorrow. I'll get to it. You don't know what spiritual battle is going on on the other side of the backside of the desert over there when you got a need that needs to be met and when somebody's got an evil report over there and God's telling you to deal with it. I remember back in 1998, I lived here in Rensselaer, Indiana for about six months down south of town. And I got up one Sunday morning and I went to church at Crown Point Assembly of God. I drove up there. It's when the church used to be out by the interstate. You remember that? You drive up to Maryville. The church is right on the interstate there. And I went to that church that Sunday morning and I had $50 in my pocket. It's all the money I had. I'd been living here for about three or four weeks. Didn't have a job. And I walked into that church with a $50 bill in my pocket. Big mistake. I should have had like three fives and some tens and some twenties because then I wouldn't have had to give up the whole 50. Just kidding. That was a joke. So I'm sitting and there's about 10 people in the sanctuary of the church during the Sunday morning service and God speaks to me and says, I want you to give that pastor that $50. I'm sitting there thinking, ain't no way, God, I am not giving that pastor $50. Now I'm going to tell you why I wasn't getting up off that $50. Because the week before, I've been digging footers with Bob Dobson and I already swore I would never step into another construction site again and dig footers for Bob Dobson. That, that man will work you to death. He's been having this construction process going on over his house this summer. There's a reason why I haven't been over there to drink coffee with Bob Dobson. Because <laughs> I wouldn't be up here preaching on Sunday morning if I was working for Bob Dobson. That guy, I don't care when he's a He's going to be building mansions in heaven, I'm going to tell you that much right now. And he's going to be hollering, Gabriel, the footer. <laughs> so I'm sitting there clutching that 50, man, because that week I don't want to go back to digging footers. And God says, I told you to get up and give that man that $50. 
So he starts preaching, and, you know, I wasn't serving God the way I should have at really at all at that time, and God still speaks to you even though you're not serving him. Just ask the donkey in the Bible. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, God, I'm not coming up this $50, I'm out of here. I get up right in the middle of service, and I head out the door. Out the back of the sanctuary, down this hall, man, I'm almost to the door, it's like the light at the end of the tunnel, and this woman steps out of the nursery. Hey, brother, how you doing? Shakes my hand, I'm the pastor's wife, how you doing? And God just nailed me, give her the $50. So I look at her, and I'm telling you, man, this is exactly how I did it. Here, God wants you to have that. And I start to walk out the door. And, she, and I hear her noise. She says, thank you. I turn around, and this woman's crying. She goes, I, I have no idea how I was going to get diapers this afternoon. I, I appreciate you so much being obedient to the Spirit. Yeah. I was trapped by the Spirit, man. I wasn't being, see, in Isaiah 16, it says willing and obedient. I was obedient, but I wasn't willing. But see, for all I know, that woman could have been sitting there that entire morning during Sunday school in that service wondering how she was going to get a diaper to put on her child. And if I would have just been obedient to the Spirit at the very beginning, I could have ended somebody else's evil report two hours earlier. I could have ended it two hours earlier. So I know you're probably thinking, well, man, you got us on both sides, but that's okay. There's two sides to every coin. There's a proof, and then there's the message. All right? So when that evil report comes... Don't sit there and cast it down and don't begin to be like the children of Israel, but be like Joshua and Caleb. And because they were like Joshua and Caleb, when the evil report came, what happened? They got to go into the promised land. Only those two. And anybody over the age of 20 and up died and perished and toiled in the desert. Why? Because they believed the negative report. Trust me, church, when God, when you are given an evil report, God has a positive report. For everything negative that the enemy has in your life, God has the alternate. He's got a positive. Start letting go of the negative. Cast it out. Quit dragging it along with you. Grasp on to the positive things that God has in your life, and you're going to get to see the promised land. And if you're that one that God's saying, hey, man, you're doing right right now, go over there and bless somebody else because they've heard an evil report. Rise up and do it, and don't sit there and think in your mind, well, they've got enough as it is already. Ready, and I really don't want to do it. God might be using you. He might be calling you out to be there, Joshua and Caleb. He might be using you to be the glory of the Lord that's going to appear in their life. But it's not going to happen, church, if we sit in our pews on Sunday morning murmuring, complaining, angry, jealous, deceitful, whatever it might be. I'm just naming a few, but there's a thousand things out there that are not linked to the fruit of the Spirit and a walk with Christ that the enemy tries on a daily basis to attack us with. And God's saying today, I've got it for you. There's somebody in here right now, you're seeing, and you've said just in the last week, where's mine, God? Where's mine? Just like the video with the Coke at the beginning. You're not happy with the little bit you got, and God's saying, I've got it all for you, but you've got to cast all your cares to the side. Look unto me, and then you will see my glory. Can you say amen? amen. Let's all stand this morning. That was short for me today. As Sister Crystal comes forward. With every head bowed and every eye closed in here this morning.